Hello and welcome to this edition of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. We're your hosts, Jill, Gracia, Dave, Dawn, and this week we are going off track a little bit. So normally we plan to bring you stories from New England, but after last week's show, The Drowning Men of Boston, we decided to branch out and explore the smiley face killer theory. But before we do that, Gracia, do you want to tell us about this fantastic drink of the week? We decided to go a little south of the border and we are doing margaritas today. Uh, Jill is on a keto diet, so we decided to go keto for this one. It is from the I Can't Believe It's Low Carb website, and you just Google skinny margarita. Very easy to make. It is equal parts um, soda water with orange, tequila. <laughs> Sorry, that's the best part right and there, we right? used a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you do a uh, half of that of lime juice. And then you add just a little bit of sugar to break up that lime because it's very lime forward. Yeah, we used Splenda, um, and it's delicious, but some people on a keto diet will use monk fruit sweeteners and things like that, so. I, I actually thought it would be really good with, like, just a little bit of, like, either pomegranate juice or, like, instead of the sugar, just a little squirt of something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah it's definitely good. Um, we learned, too, the, not the hard way, we learned the fun way, that if you don't add the sugar in, it's very limey. Very limey. So add something to sweeten it up, even if it's a little... Something you got around the house that just adds a little sweet taste to break up that acidity. Yeah, it almost tastes like a Texas 221 um, without the sugar. And then for the mocktail, we didn't do it because the mocktails for margaritas involve seltzer. And if you listened last week, <laughs> Dave, our mocktail <laughs> drinker, doesn't like seltzer. So we figured he could have water. <laughs> Warm water and salt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Trying to keep you healthy, Dave. <laughs> it works, too. <laughs> All right, time to dive in. Uh, so let's just start with a quick recap from last week where we covered the supposed accidental drownings of men in Boston. All the men were separated from their friends and their cell phones, and all but a couple had been out drinking, and all inexplicably end up in the Charles River. They were all well-educated men, athletic, handsome, well-liked, and all but one of them was between the age of 18 and 26. So we thought, it seems kind of fishy. So in researching the story uh, I did for last week, I learned of this concept of the smiley face killers. So now, initially, I giggled a bit. And those who know me know that I love Scooby-Doo, which is probably, honestly, how I got started really liking true crime from Scooby. <laughs> Scooby-Doo, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, I love Scooby-Doo, but I never related it to my love of... <laughs> <laughs> Solving the mysteries, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Catching the bad guy. This group sounds like a Scooby-Doo episode that I'd watch, but it's not. This is a real investigation. And the theory is that there is a group of serial killers all connected on the dark web or in some other manner, committing these murders and leaving behind a smiley face graffiti where the body is found. It goes further to state that the killers abduct the men, keep them somewhere for a period of time, kill them, and then dump them in the body of water. So for this week, I'm going to start at the very beginning with what's considered the very first victim and how the detectives who formulated the theory, Kevin Gannon, Anthony Duarte, Mike Donovan, along with Dr. Lee Gibberson, get introduced to the case. So it all starts on a chilly February night. It's just 23 degrees out. Patrick McNeil is a Fordham University student who is handsome, athletic, well-liked, and well-known for going out of his way for others. He went to a bar, the Dapper Dog, with some friends. Now, I need to give you a little bit of backstory on this bar. 
It's a super sketchy college barn, known at the time for its frat house-like ambiance, if you can call it that. The bar had this thing where they would have guest bartenders, which they would pick like a patron of the bar, like a guy out of the crowd, and have him be the bartender. So on this particular night, one of Patrick's classmates is the guest bartender. And Patrick and this guy, they're not like super good friends or anything, but again, Patrick is the kind of guy who really likes to support people, so he decided to go anyway, and while he was there, he had a few drinks. Anyway, just keep in mind that this bar is totally sus, because that's going to come up in a bit. So, later in the evening, a video camera catches Patrick hanging out outside the bar. So, the assumption here is that he's waiting for a girl to come out of the bathroom and meet him, but she never comes out. And after a little bit, the camera catches him leaving, and it's assumed that he heads home, and then he vanishes. But it gets creepier from here. Because outside the bar, there are a few, a few people hanging out. They're on the street, and they see Patrick leave, and they watch him as he walks off. Now, there are two reasons that they watch him. The first is that Patrick was stumbling and falling a lot. Like, he appears to be completely lotto intoxicated. But even more creepily than that is that there's a van shadowing him. Patrick takes a few steps and stops, and the van stops. Patrick starts walking again, the van starts up again. This is so concerning that one guy in the crowd tries to get the plate number off the van, but he's only able to get a partial one. Anyway, Patrick takes a turn onto 90th Street, and he's gone, and neither him or the van are ever seen again. Now, or at least the last time. <laughs> now, this is about to become the most famous missing person case in New York City history. Keep in mind, we're in 1997. But massive search efforts get underway, and there is no sign of Patrick anywhere. Now, Patrick's dad has some connections in neighboring Westchester County, and they start putting a lot of pressure on the NYPD as the days drag on and on with no sign of Patrick and no real updates, right? So, a lot of questions start to get raised also about the bar and this questionable practices. Because, like, I know, Gracia, you were a bartender, I was a bartender. It's our responsibility to know how much people drink and to be monitoring them. And in Massachusetts, you have to be certified. I mean, I don't know about the 90s. I would say I started bartending shortly thereafter. You're at 97. I was bartending when Michael was little. It's 99. I mean, you had to be certified. You deserve. So you'd take a course. Um, there is guest bartending in Boston, however, but it's like Gronk. And like, like celebrity, thing. it's more for fun, and the bartender has to like shadow that guest. So, I don't know if that's how they did it, but my friend Nikki had to shadow Gronk and fun night, guys, just so you know. But that's, I mean, that is skeptical to me that you would even have that's a, such a liability. Yeah, I mean, I would think that's just an open invitation to be serving minors. Actually, I read that that was one of the reasons I like to go to that bar. Because yeah. they would serve mine. They would serve Yeah, because you're not going to turn your friend down. I mean, right. that's the reason why you have to be a certain age in order to serve it. And then, like, when you take that course, those who have taken the course, you know it's, like, a, a varied of factors. How tall is this person? How much have they eaten? How much fat do they have in their body? Like, not everybody has a certain, like, oh, after two drinks, they're drunk. No, well, it, there's so many factors. It's a big math equation. And these people wouldn't know that. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so... Um, I mean, in this case, too, like, no one really knows how much Patrick had to drink. Some people reported that he was a little bit drunk. Some people reported a lot drunk. Clearly, they saw him falling down. 
Uh, but Stumbling no one, is a lot. <laughs> yeah, nobody actually knows. Yeah, he wasn't just stumbling. He fell into, like, snowbanks, they said. Right. Yeah. That's drunk. And then what becomes really fucked up is that the police in the bar respond to this pressure by attacking Patrick's character. They start saying things like, he's probably just shooting up somewhere, or he's hiding out in Queens because he knocked a couple girls up. I mean, it's completely atrocious how they respond to the pressure the dads, oh this poor gosh. father, is putting on them to look for his kid. It's like know? deflection, deflection, deflection. Don't exactly. look at us. Yeah. 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 It's really, really awful. So then on April 7th, 1997, Patrick's body would be found in the East River, face up and badly decomposed. He's about 12 miles from his last assumed location. And so to just give you like a little bit of context on the location, for Patrick to have gotten where he ended up in the East River on his own, he would have had to have walked across FDR Drive, which has fencing on both sides, and that's one hell it's of a... impossible. Yeah, right? That'd well, on great. foot. Especially if you're falling down drunk. Navigate. It would be like Frogger. You know? <laughs> it would be crazy. Frogger after you climbed a fence. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a lot to assume a fall-down drunk person would be able to do that. Uh, so they do an autopsy, and... Questions about the lack of skin slippage, which apparently happens to drowning victims, like, you know, if they're in the water for a while, um, and lividity indicate that if the, bo- that the body had only been in the water for a couple of days. They further determined that if Patrick had drowned, he would have been face down, not face up. Toxicology also looks for his blood alcohol level, which is 0.16, clearly over the legal limit, but this guy is six feet tall, 195 pounds, and per your point, Gracia. Yep. He can handle a little bit. I would serve him more, especially if he's eating, you know, and he can handle a few. Yeah, so he'd probably be drunk, but not so completely fucked up that he can't walk without falling. No. It used to also be, in fact, it was probably right around 1997, where the actual legal limit had been changed to .08. So it used to be, I believe, .12. So this would have actually been very slightly over the legal limit of 1997. And a lot of people you know, have felt that 0.08 might be actually a little bit uh, low. I mean, that's... Well, it's like a glass of wine and a half, and you can function off that. Yeah. It's not much. The problem is is that some people of different styles can't handle that, though. Yeah, exactly. So, ready for this, though, guys? His body has been charred in places. Burned badly. Shit. And he has rope burns around his neck. By the way, he doesn't have a shirt on, anything like that. He's just in his jeans. That's it. No shoes, no shirt. He stole all his parts. Nobody ate him. True. Uh, Curious. He's cooked. (laughs) So as a result of all of this information, the case is determined to be a homicide, and it lands on Kevin Gannon's desk because he works in the homicide department at the NYPD. So Gannon starts his investigation, but he starts running into, like, some really strange walls. For example, like he presses to get that partial plate looked up, but the NYPD says no because they state that $1,200 is too much to spend on a drowning victim. Oh boy. Yeah. So, Gannon tries to push the case forward, but he's blocked. He just can't. Uh, there are no persons of interest, and no one is ever considered a suspect. The case remains cold to this very day. A couple of things. Um... So, Gannon came up with, with the fly larvae, you know, the flies? Yeah. And, and uh, our young fellow, our young victim here, had uh, fly, fly eggs in his underwear. Everybody's pointing at the microphone because I always lose it. <laughs> if I go left, it goes right. So. 
It's a tricky guy. It's like the fly you're talking about. <laughs> you can move it. So fly larva wouldn't be consistent with February in the East River. It Definitely was not. also house fly larva, not a water type insect. That's right. It was an That's indoor fly. And the larvae were there. It did not move ahead into the later stages. So we have a body that was already dead, according to Gannon, according to Dr. Searle Wetsch. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, and that doctor called it a homicide, yes, based on just that, that fact. So I think, Jill, you already mentioned he had a 0.16 BAC. Yep. Okay. Now, again, too, we don't know about um, GHB, which we talked a lot about the date rape drug last week. Because they didn't ask for it, right? They right. Didn't ask for it. Normal toxicology does not pull for that. I have a quick, quick, quick question politically. Uh, is this when Giuliani was trying to clean up the city or not? Like a, the twelve hundred buck comment, like made me think, like, what time so is going we're, on we're in New York City? Ninety-seven. Yep, nineteen ninety-seven. Um, I do not believe. Well, I don't remember what year he was trying up. to like yeah, fix the crime rate type of thing. It. Like, does that play into that twelve hundred bucks? Like, that part sh like mm -hmm. sent a little like, hey, what's going on politically in you New know, York City? You know, police jurisdictions are notorious for not cooperating with each other. And yeah. bureaucracy, and I'm, we're going to follow the rules here, but not there. Yeah. Right? If it screws up your area, that, and, and you read about this all the time when you read crime novels. And cream, you know, Very much so. And yeah. I remember during this time that, well, not necessarily during this time, but when Giuliani had to come in and try to fix the crime rate, per se, he was saying he was making cops get tougher. And he was trying to get tough on the uh, bad cops. So that's why I was trying to say, like, was this a... Where was this? Was this was, sure. was this guy a bad cop? That I don't know. I, I don't just know either. didn't know if you guys. It, actually, it sounds wait, a little actually, ridiculous to hear that twelve hundred dollars is too much to spend on. I, I thought mean, it did too, they, David. That immediately was like, know, what? I mean, that's you know they'll spend more you know to just figure out how fast a car was going sometimes you know in, in just an accident where no one was killed um, than twelve hundred dollars. Could have been I mean, from the pressure from the dad, but um, yeah. I do actually know that Kevin Gannon is a highly decorated, retired uh, lieutenant in the New York Police Department, so from okay. here. No slouch, that guy. Yeah, no, not at all. So he, but he was the one who... Who made the decision. Who made the decision with somebody else, right? No. Yeah, he, exactly. make, no, he was trying to get something done. And, yeah, and yeah, they weren't cooperating. Right <laughs> yeah. Sorry to go political for a second, I just curious. And you go through these cases, you, you run into that all the time, where they start saying, well, I tried this, but then... Yeah. In this jurisdiction, they said, no, we don't want you here, da, da, da. Yeah. It turns into a big pissing contest. For it sure. It really does. It really yeah. does. So. Men and their penises. <laughs> so, true story. Gannon thought the kid had six drinks, tops, after reading through the autopsy reports and everything. Six drinks for a 185-pounder. Yeah. Six what kind of drinks? Did they say anything like he was drinking beer, they alcohol? Said beers, but Just it's alcohol, hard to yeah. know because... Um, Nobody was watching, right? There was really no, not and a there's legit. There's no credit card receipts, these, you know. Yeah, and not a legit bartender on duty to follow. <laughs> yeah, and there was, you know, you're talking 97, so, you know, the date rape drug definitely exists at this time. Definitely. But there's, it, it's almost like there's still this make-believe that women don't get raped at college parties. Um, you know. That, that still exists today. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> You know, there was like this crazy kind of like, no, that doesn't really go on. It's just, you know, you just watch too much Jerry Springer or something, you know. It's like there yeah. was definitely that. 
So it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me if there was something slipped into his string. For sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, so anyway, this is case one. And then over time, Gannon starts paying attention and notices that this is like a phenomenon. These college age golden boys start going missing and end up in the river in somewhat questionable circumstances. And then he discovers this smiley face graffiti, which, by the way, has been found in four dozen similar crime scenes, which seems a lot to be coincidental. However, I will point out we're talking hundreds of men here. This is crazy. It's crazy huge. So the next case that I want to cover is that of Christopher Jenkins. It's Halloween 2002 in Minneapolis. It's cold, like a frigid 20 degrees. And actually, I was just saying to Craig this morning, we were talking about like some of the coldest times you can remember and the coldest time I can ever remember is walking from my car to the airport in Minneapolis when I was traveling there for business when it's cold in the winter that is no fucking joke cold like seriously cold so Chris goes to the Lone Tree Bar and Grill with some friends he's dressed like a Native American and he's got like that thin nylon type Walmart costume right so and what is really sus in this story is how he leaves the bar so initially it's stated that he isn't drunk, that he spills a drink on his pants, and the bouncer mistakes it for urine and then throws him out. But no coat, no cell phone, no wallet, just like a pretty shitty thing for the bouncer to have done. But now the bar would later change its story and state that Chris left on his own. And by the way, the bar would then put all employees on a gag order and prevent them from saying anything more about Christopher Jenkins or how he left the bar. Plus, right? Reality again, is, right? Yeah. Oh, kind of crazy. So, also, um, there comes up this rumor that Chris actually gets thrown out of the bar because there's this off-duty cop in the bar who's interested in Chris's girlfriend. The cop's name I found interesting is Mike Casey. <laughs> that is. And he does, in fact, bring that girl home uh, when Chris is a no-show at the end of the night. And an aside, the police never follow up on this, if it's a lead or anything like that, because Mike at the time is a married man, and you know, can't risk fucking with that, right? And they cover their back so much in all of these cases. Mm -hmm. The brotherhood is too strong. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Chris's family would report him missing very quickly. But because it's less than three days since he was last seen, the cops don't do anything. And in fact, his parents state that the cops sit on the case without activity for five solid days. So Chris's parents do what any parents would if they could. They hire a private investigator to check out what's going on, right? And he traces what is assumed to be Chris's steps if he were heading home. And then when he does this, like he notes all the video cameras on the way and checks every single video camera along that route and there's no sign of Chris. So clearly Chris was not headed home. So his parents... They must be pretty well-off people that they then hire a canine unit to investigate. Uh, the dogs will trace Chris's scent to Times Square Pizza, which is right across the street from the Lone Tree Bar. Then the dogs track his scent to an underground parking lot and specifically spots 8990, right? They get a hint of his smell on, on, like, on a car, like maybe he touched it or he like, brushed it or something like that. Um, but that's it. There's no Chris. That's it. And by the way, just another point to bring up is the bouncer who threw Chris out was parked in this garage. So just putting that out there. So uh, moving on, the PI comes in, he searches the parking garage, he finds trace amounts of blood and one red feather that could have possibly come from Chris's costume. 
but still no Chris. So in the months between when Chris goes missing and when Chris is found, something really interesting happens. A guy who fits the profile, handsome, athletic, educated, all that, comes forward to say that while he was at the Lone Tree Bar with a friend, he noticed that his drink had like an odd, almost metallic taste. And in a very short amount of time, he goes from okay to seriously fucked up. He gets outside to like get some air, and all of a sudden, he's surrounded by some guys trying to put him into a van. Oh shit! Mm-hmm. Yep. But as his but he has his cell phone in his pocket, so he immediately calls his friend who's in the bar and is like, "You have to get the fuck out here because somebody is trying to." This is that van again? Yep. Kidnap me. Um, and so his friend rushes out of the bar and, like, grabs him and saves him. Basically, this guy probably saved his life. He has some good dudes? Yep, for sure. Uh, the friend then has to carry the man home. And when they get home, they call one of their moms, who's a nurse, and they describe what's going on. And she's like, oh, you've totally been drugged. So, mm-hmm. anyway. Well, the metallic taste alone, don't they tell you that that's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And people pass it off as, oh, it's the ice scoop, or mm-hmm, yeah. ice scoop doesn't. Mm-hmm. No, not nope. so much. Yeah, I thought this was really, like, in, just, like, so incredible to me. You know, like, I was fascinated by this idea that somebody may have survived this. Um, this guy wants to be anonymous, so that's why I'm not telling you his name. I don't know it. Um, but there's this show called Breaking Homicide, and in season one, episode three, they interview this guy. It's super interesting. So if you're interested in learning more about Smiley Face Killers, Chris Jenkins in particular, that's actually the story that they're covering. Um, I highly recommend this episode of this show. So anyway, back to Chris. His body is recovered in the Mississippi River four months later in a place that was previously searched. He's still in his costume. He's face up again, and his arms are crossed over his chest like this. So I'm showing them, but I think we can find an autopsy picture to post. But his hands are like this. Um, Crossed over his chest. And so what's more interesting, or the point that I found the most interesting, was that his costume is not in any kind of disarray whatsoever. His shirt is still tucked in. His moccasin slipper things are still on his feet. So, like, I mean, no signs of struggle, no signs of drowning. Weird, right? He's clutching, also, in one of his hands, a clump of hair. Um, And it will turn out that DNA will prove it's his own hair. Which, you know, if you're, like, trying to, you know, get something off your head or something like that, you might pull out your own hair, right? Yeah, so if they were pulling the hood or something. Yeah, something. exactly. Something. But he has it in his hand. Um, an autopsy is done. His BAC is 0.12. And he has 56 units of GHB in his body. Yeah. Which so they, they knew to test for it at this point. Yes. His parents must have, his parents were like, no joke, good parents. Yeah. Here, his parents know? were like, I'm on this shit. Yeah. And I learned um, that, like, everybody has about 10 units of GHB naturally in their body. Mm-hmm. 18 would seriously impair you. So 56 is unfucking believable. Like, that's a lot. Right. You know? Yeah. 10 is like the cutoff point. Yeah. So they, if they find that nearby, they're not going to get too alarmed. But anything beyond that, they start looking a little closer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, his this is also really interesting, and it's not going to sound interesting at first, but his body is pristine with no bruising, and that's super sus because he's a lacrosse goalie, and they had been practicing right before he went to the bar and went out with friends, 
And as a lacrosse goalie, like my boys played football, so I don't really know that much about lacrosse, but they said that his legs were covered with bruises because the ball, as people yeah. took okay. shots in the goal, the ball would hit him. It's not just the ball. I mean, you could hit also with the sticks. Like, you're, Mike played lacrosse, and you're able to hit people with a stick if they have the ball. Yeah. And there's no padding, so it can become pretty brutal if you are, especially a goalie, people are going to take you out. He probably had bruises all over Well, yep. you would know. Yeah, and when you die, the bruising becomes very profound yeah. uh, when rigor mortis sets in. So, you know, you that's one of the, kind of about 15 minutes after you die, um, your, your body really is almost unrecognizable because the skin complexion goes away and all this rigor mortis sets in and, you know, um, it's actually pretty gruesome to see a dead body. Yeah, so you're thinking they would kept him alive for a couple of days for those bruises to heal, right? Had to healed, right? It had to have yeah. healed in order for them to go away. This is one of the patterns of all these killings: is that when they actually analyze it, uh, it, it seems like the person is kept for some period of time, either dead or otherwise, exactly. before they're placed in the water. That's determined in a larger number of these cases. Yep. Jill, just to take you back to something you were talking about, the the young fellow that got away. That wasn't Colin. Was it Colin nope. Fortney? No, nope, Are you going to talk about him? I am. I'm going to okay. talk about him closer to the end of Sorry. this, though. So. Spoiler. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So, yeah, so like we were just saying. Also, lacrosse, he must be a bigger dude. Oh, yeah. It's a, he it's was a sport like, where you have to have, yeah. Yeah, he was super in shape. You know, there are pictures of him. And like I said, this show that I watched, Breaking Homicide, covered him. And the mother was showing pictures and stuff. And, like, he's in great shape. You know, looks yeah, every lacrosse player I ever know, great shape, tall. Yeah. Oh yeah, built. you, you got to be in shape to play that. It's it's yeah. running football. Yeah, like yeah. everybody runs. Yeah, not baseball. <laughs> not baseball. <laughs> anyway, sorry, baseball players out there. Sorry. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, so anyway, also the coroner says that due to how his hands were folded across his chest and stuck there, that he would have had to have been dead before he was placed in the water. And just think about this. His hands are folded across his chest. Somebody had to have, like, mm-hmm. you don't die like Yeah, that was this. deliberate. Back to his rigor mortis, you know? Yeah. They can call it a prayer position or something like that. Yeah. That almost looks like a warrior stance, though. Like, you're holding, like, yeah. a shield or, like, to me, when she did that, it's more of, like, a, I don't know. Like, yeah. To me, it reminded me of a warrior or, like, a Cults will definitely, yeah. if you're dealing with a cult killing, they'll definitely have... Oftentimes, they research some sort of tribal symbol or tribal stance or something like that from, you know, whether it's an ancient Native American tribe or, you know, or even places, you know, from various locations of the world, you know, Africa or whatever. And they, you know, have a, they tend to have an obsession with that. So that makes sense there. Yeah. 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 So you guys are going to like this. Minneapolis's finest at the time declares this an accidental drowning. Of course. <laughs> Where was George Floyd from? That's, so good. Yeah, right? It's so crazy. <laughs> so uh, anyway, though, four years later, four years later, a new captain comes onto the team. He reviews the case and reclassifies it as a homicide. Uh, but it does actually remain cold. So, okay. And um, it was, I mean, one of the things is that, you know, a bar can have a gag order on people, but, you know, a court can also have a subpoena. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that the VA in Minneapolis has not taken it into, taken some initiative to actually really question these people because, you know, you can lose your job at a bar any day, you know, um, but you don't want to be telling the VA you're not going to cooperate with the homicide investigation. For like how much money a week? Like, yeah. To be honest, you know? Four years later? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so just to let you know, choosing which of these stories to cover was actually really hard for me. There are so many. Um, so I have two more to cover, plus a surprise story that Dad gave away. That's okay. Well, no, I could be edited out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's I'm keeping you on the record. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. This one I picked, though, from this Oxygen series uh, on the Smiley Face Killers, which is fantastic. And I just really, I think, liked the mom, to be totally honest, um, when I watched it and then I did my extra research. So this gentleman's name is Todd Guive. He's 22 from Kesnovia, Michigan. On June 12th, so outside the pattern, but on June 12th, 2005, he goes to an orchard party, which is exactly what it sounds like. And us small town people, we totally understand the concept of partying in the woods. Mm-hmm. All right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so at 12.47 that night, he calls his sister, says, I'm sick of this party, I'm heading home. And then at 12.51, he calls her again, and says he's in a field, but then the call drops. She calls him back, and the call is answered, but she says that all she hears is either, like, the sound of wind or heavy breathing. But then the call dies again. She called him back a couple more times, but his phone would never answer another call again. So, on July 2nd, his body is found in a nearby lake, standing upright. He's fully clothed, like wallet and pocket, the whole nine, in an area that was previously searched three separate times. And in fact, the couple who finds him reports that they were actually in that area of the lake the day before, out on their like houseboat until like 9 p.m. And there was no Todd. It's not the hugest lake you'll ever see, you know, and this is a... This isn't like Michigan or... Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it is a place where, you know, people who have access to the boat will go out and be on their boat at night. Right? And it's the summer, right? Are we in July, June said? We are July. So, yeah, they're out on it a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, th- there were fishermen using uh, a depth finder and underwater ice fishing camera at the time, looking for good places to fish there. There was nobody there when they did that. Uh, and they, it, they didn't only do it once. Right? So, add that to, to what you're saying. Yeah. There's just... He I can't even imagine what that would look like time. on a fish finder. And the autopsy will bear it out. It just doesn't seem reasonable to think he was there. So they do a autox ecology. His BAC comes back as 0.2. That's blood alcohol content, in case I'm just assuming everybody knows what I'm talking about. But Todd also has two different antidepressants in his body. So there's a a pharmacist there that they talk to, they interview on this show, which was pretty interesting. Um, And he says to them that, you wouldn't mix these antidepressants to have, like, a super fun time. They're not that kind of a high. But it would completely disorient someone. They'd be likely to have seizures, hallucinations. You know, they'd be completely out of it, basically, if you mix these two antidepressants. Do we know which ones they were? Um, actually, we do. It was in the show, but I didn't note it in my uh, notes. Yeah, I'll have to look it up later. Um, so the cops investigate, and they say to the moms, 
that Todd must have decided to go for a swim and drown accidentally. <laughs> I love these cop theories. Like, <laughs> you like, hmm, the guy must have gone swimming. Like, what? So let's talk about whether or not he decided to just walk from the party to go to swim. Um, in this Oxygen series on the Smiley Face Killers, they interview the orchard owner, who says that, sure, it would be possible for Todd to have walked to the water from the party. But he would have had to go through a field of really harsh prickers. And the owner of the orchard said they're actually like one and a half to two inches long. Not, no joke prickers. No joke prickers. So Todd's body. Rip your skin up. Yeah, exactly. It's like going through barbed wire. Yeah, he would have been completely ripped up. But he wasn't. Not at all. No cuts on him. And he's standing up. And he's standing up. One to two inches long. Wish I had a pricker like that. I do not. Those things get in your clothes. Yeah. They rip your skin up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's the other thing is he's standing up, like in the water. Which if you're in the water, yeah, you'd be floating, whether face up or face down. Your whole body would be floating. You'll tend to be face down if you drown. Mm -hmm. And also in the heat of the summer, he should have been almost completely decomposed, but Todd was not. And in fact, not to keep hyping this show episode, but they do this really fascinating experiment with the University of Michigan with like pig carcasses, basically where they put them in the water, um, being dressed like in basically the same clothes that Todd was dressed in for, you know, a period of days, and they track the level of decomposition and infect, insect uh, infestation. I think I said that right. So we know for a fact there's no way Todd was in the water that long. No. Yeah. So. Yeah, I read they yeah. figured he was two to five days in the water at most. At though. most. At most. And he's gone for a week. And wasn't his clothes on? Yeah, his clothes were on. Yeah, and nobody all, goes swimming with their and clothes. Those people the day before, like yeah. it had to be the same day. I mean, if it's late at night, yeah, you could be maybe enticed to go swimming if there's, you know, somebody who wants to go swimming with you, but it's probably not going to be a clothed experience. So, well, I mean, who goes swimming in their jeans, right? True. You know. Well, I'll tell you as an aside, at Gracia's 40th birthday, she had a wine party, and somebody had this great idea that we should, like, go swim in the ocean in March. Somebody's speaking right now. <laughs> and I think did. this was my idea. Fully clothed, but, um, yeah, it took, like, five seconds. She to... could barely move in her jeans, and I was like, it's because you're wearing jeans. She goes, okay, I'll take them off. <laughs> Fell into Ooh. the ocean. <laughs> And her jeans are floating, and I'm trying to grab them as they float away. We're in the ocean. How come this wasn't March. reported to me? Well, it was when I, she was turning 40. Yeah. So. Yeah. She's older Anybody than Anybody put I a smiley face near there? There was no smiley face. It was just an awful lot of We were fun. supposed, to, for the record, we were supposed to polar plunge two days later, and that was the discussion. Jill's like, let's go now. And I was like, it's dark. <laughs> yeah. I chickened out of doing it two days later, too. <laughs> that you know, water is fucking cold. <laughs> getting back uh, to Mr. Gieb? Gieb. Gieb. Sorry. Apologize. So doing the math here, if he was two to five days in the water when they found him, that means 15 to 18 days after he was reported missing. Yep, he was What somewhere. the hell was he doing? I don't know. Partying there. Swimming around. Hanging going through stickers. Well, he was really close to his mom, and, and like obviously, he leaves the party to say he's not having fun. He calls his sister. Yeah, you know, they were like, obviously close. Yeah, what right? What year he was, was this, too? It was, hold on, let me scroll back up. 2005. Okay, so having a cell phone back then wouldn't necessarily make, mean you're rich, but no. like the 97, 98 cases, if you had a cell phone back then, you came for money. Yeah. Right? So no, that, that was This was before. still not a tech... Uh, one we're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, no, this was like 
the days of welcome. Yeah. Welcome to Horizon. Goodbye. Oh my gosh, I remember that. <laughs> Please enter your password for your voicemail. And you have the mo- modem sound everywhere. Yeah. So, so now, sorry, Dad is trying to point out that this is a drinking show, so that's what that sound is. The more I drink, the better this gets. <laughs> anyway, uh, Todd's mom, who, again, like I said, when I watched the show, I just, oh, like my heart broke for her because... They're interviewing her some 13 or 14 years after Todd's gone, and she's still talking about how she hears a little boy in the grocery store say, hey, mom, it'll bring her to tears. You know, like, I just, Uh, yeah, my heart broke for her. She seemed like such a sweet little lady. Um, But anyway, she decides that this really doesn't seem like an accident to her, right? So whatever the cops Smarter than the cops. Yeah, right? Um, But she she can't get anywhere on her own. Uh, So in 2008... She ends up getting connected with Kevin Gannon and his crew, and they start to do an investigation. And not long after this investigation starts, you guys are going to like this, a smiley face shows up on Todd's grave and wow. on a tree near where his body was recovered. Isn't on that? his gravestone? Yeah, on his gravestone. Wow. Yeah, it was like a little, yeah, like it's crazy. Yeah, I saw a picture of it. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yep. That would just freak me out. It did freak me out, and it wasn't my child. But Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like a statement that they're so either somebody has a very sick sense of humor or somebody's taunting somebody, exactly. Which we know, serial I think killers as we go like these to cases, do. We're gonna see more and more. Yeah, of that. well, yeah, anytime you have bodies appearing somewhere where they they definitely searched, that's generally would be a symptom of a serial killer because they love to do things like that. Mm-hmm. like. I want to show you that you missed this, you know, and exactly. you know, it's like, it's about getting into that. I'm heads. smarter than you yeah, are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, not really, Dave. Yeah. Close. <laughs> um, all right. So the last victim that I want to cover is his name is Dakota Jane. He's a great guy. He's got lots of friends. He's referred to as a really good person. And what I found really interesting is that he's also a champion swimmer. So, yeah. Uh-oh. The irony. On January 25th, 2017, he's out at a bar with some friends. And you know the story. He's going to get separated from them. He's going to leave the bar alone. Did you say where we are? Uh, we're in... Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, that's right. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Um, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't write that part down. Uh, do you pay him much? No, no not at all. He gets to drink our drinks. You get what you pay for. And these are pretty good margaritas, FYI. So, <laughs> FYI. Yeah, that's a good tip. Anyway, um, so he leaves the bar by himself because he's separated from his friends. Forty days later, 40, four zero days, he's found in the Ohio River. Now, the cops, <laughs> really not trying to be so anti-cop, but it just keeps <laughs> happening. He suggests that he was drunk. And while walking home, decided he needed to pee, so he walked to the river to pee and then falls in and dies. So He must have walked, like, how do you get that deep into a river by just walking over the bank? I, I feel think. like this must be something that they just tell cops, because the Boston said it a bunch, too. Like, do guys just pee into the river and fall in all the time? Like, well, well, so how means, often yeah, is A river like, isn't, like, ten feet deep, though. Like, if you have to pee, how far are you walking? You know, I mean... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. This isn't the cop manual. If they fall in river, they must have been trying to pee. Yeah. So even more interesting is that if he had decided to walk home from the bar, then he would have had to cross this bridge, 
And by the way, the bridge has cameras on it. He never crosses the bridge. So any, it, it, it didn't happen. But if in some crazy way it did happen, he would have had to have walked down three flights of steel steps to get to the river. So what I think is that if he's so drunk that he walks to the river, falls over, and dies, that he might have struggled with the stairs a little on the way yeah, down. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know, are now a detective. <laughs> they call these Common stairs like, factor, right? like he would have broken his bones or something. Like they're steel steps. Mm-hmm. It's not. This is crazy to me that they mm-hmm. decided that that's what he did. Um, Were his pants actually off? No. Either? So I mean, most people actually do un, you know. They take it out before they pee. I mean, you know, it's like, you do? I'm just going to go, oh, go wet my pants next to the river, you know? I mean, well, this isn't what Now I get it. <laughs> I'm going to walk all the way over here and then still pee in my pants. Wow. No one will notice because there's a river right there. <laughs> yep, so it's... No penis out, we're good. <laughs> it's slightly fishy to everyone except Dad, who apparently just learned something new. <laughs> Well, now I can explain to your mother what's going on with the front of my pants. <laughs> you got a whole, wow. All right. I thought that was dirty. No? Yeah. Oh, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay, so even more interesting with Dakota is that his parents are not allowed to see the autopsy photos for years. Actually, not until they get with Kevin Gannon and he helps them make this case to get the cops to show it to them. They were hiding it from them. That's right. They only identified him actually by his foot because he had a tattoo on his ankle. And so that's it. They only showed the parents a picture of the foot. And Jeez. so the mother also is like devastated by this because she feels like she didn't really get that closure. She didn't really get to, mm-hmm. you know, see her baby for the last time. So it, it's not only weird that they did it. I think it's cruel. Yeah. Who I, d- I don't understand how you could ident- identify the body by a tattoo because like you go into tattoo parlors, a million people probably have that. Like you know what I mean? I, yeah. Well, how many tattoos do we have, and how many of them are exactly the same? And exactly, exactly the same. The spot? same. Yeah. Yeah. Jill, I have one, two, three, three. Yeah. So exactly the same spot. Mm. I didn't know David's feet from anywhere. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Jesse has that characteristic too. Anyway, moving on. Um, so they do get the autopsy photos. Kevin Gannon and his team help with that, like I said. Um, and what these autopsy photos show is absolutely alarming. So first of all, the body is moderately decomposed, but with the water temperature, just so you guys know, that's totally possible. This is winter. You know, it's possible that the coldness of the water slowed down the decomposition. So that's not what's alarming. No. What I'm talking about is that Dakota has ligature marks around his neck and bruising on his fingertips, in particular his uh, ring finger and pinky finger, which indicate that he was probably trying to pull something off of his neck as he was dying. Which is which why they didn't the want... reflex, yeah. yeah. Also why they didn't want her to see the body. She probably would have seen all that and said, like, hey, yeah. what's going on with his neck? Yeah, totally. Um, also, his body doesn't have any debris on it, which... They literally, apparently, never dredged that river, uh, so he should have at least had something. It's yucky. Yeah. Oh, and furthermore, just a little bit interesting, is none of this is actually in the autopsy report. They just see it on the autopsy photos. And that Dr. Cecil Wentz, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right either, but um, he 
is actually reviews this with Kevin Gannon. He helps out that team and is like, why isn't any of this in the autopsy? Like, this is clearly a homicide or should be classified at least as one. But his case is listed as an accidental drowning. Yeah. What could they think it could be? Like, how do you even say that that could be accidental? Literally have no idea. You'd have to have, like, something in the river that could do that to your neck, which yeah. is yeah, not well, plausible. You couldn't pull off. On, I mean, right. You know, right. I mean, in, you know, the rivers in Pittsburgh aren't known for their cleanliness. No, I mean, not at all. Actually, and they never dredge them. Not so like Boston. Never dredge them. Yeah, so it's I It's the mean, dirty it's city not, for a reason, right? Yeah, it's not a place where, you know, I, I mean, so he's peeing his pants, hanging himself, and drowning is the. <laughs> I mean, it's a that's busy the day. Well, you're loaded, right? This guy's that's awesome. Pretty good, pretty good trick. <laughs> you want to hang out with him on a Friday. <laughs> Joe, just an aside here. One of uh, Dakota's friends told the parents that the Milwaukee Magazine had done a uh, an article on this, right? And that a convicted murderer, Jeremy Alford, who was uh, also a suspect in a river death, believe it or not, told the FBI that the, a gang had murdered 40. Right. Are you going to talk about this? No, nope, yeah, go for it right now. No, were you going to talk about nope. it? No. Oh, I was okay. Um, and claimed that one of the gang members, one of the leaders, was a fellow named Z. Miley, M-I-L-E-Y, right, Smiley, who knows. So, the FBI, in a letter to this, to this magazine, now I looked at this magazine, I found the article, I found the, the, the woman who, uh, Jessica McBride, who was a journalist who, who wrote it. The FBI, in a letter to the magazine, says no gang exists, but admits that, uh, you know, Alfred actually discussed this with them. Now, the name of the gang, according to Alfred, is Dealers of Death. Uh, that's his story, anyway. Later on, Jeremy and his brother confessed their murder and dumping of a body in a river in this area. So, it's a tough one to, to nail down. So, we sent an email to the reporter, and she answered this morning. And basically what I asked her was, has, have there been any developments in this, this theory? Right. And she said, not since the time of the article. So, who knows? Grain of salt? I don't know. But interesting, anyway, nonetheless. Well, I mean, if you got a serial killer, I mean, most killers aren't looking for athletes to go try and kill, right? So Good point. You, you've got, you've got a pro swimmer. I mean, swimmers aren't people to try and you know, go toe-to-toe with. They've got very strong arms. They can hurt you, you know, lacrosse players. But I if mean, you have a van, David, if you have and a you're van a group and you of have And you're drugged them. And you've drugged yeah, them. You've drugged like, that's them. the important part yeah. of all of this, right? Yeah. But I would think you would still, it would, you would need more than one person involved if this is, these are the people that you're targeting. Because they're dead weight. Yeah. Once so, they become so. in- incapacitated True. in some way, yeah. they're dead weight. In San Francisco in the 70s, there was a group of people using a van to abduct people right off the sidewalks, sometimes in broad daylight. These are called the zebra killings. Now, it's not a racial thing, because these people did turn out to be um, black Muslims, American black Muslims. A zebra was the, the bandwidth of the radio that the police were using at the time for this particular thing. Um, 
But yeah, they used a van. It was a, a group of them, and they grabbed, in many cases, very healthy people. They grabbed couples, pulled them into the van, incapacitated them very quickly, and did horrible things. If, if you're interested, you, if you look on Amazon for the zebra killings, you know, you can find a book on this anyway. But it isn't like this never has happened before. Right. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, guys, now for, like, my kind of surprise. This is another survivor story. So, the first one, we don't really know if it's related because he doesn't end up in a body of water, right? But there's this guy, Cullen Fortney. He's 21. He's a student at the University of Wisconsin. And on January 8th, 2006, he goes out with friends in lacrosse, Wisconsin to have some drinks. He has beer and he has mixed drinks. He leaves the bar at 1.45 and is separated from his friends. Now from here, he suffers a complete time loss. He says he cannot account for anything or anything that happened between 1.30 in the morning and 7 a.m. But at 7 a.m., he wakes up in a river fighting a current. He manages to grab onto like a wall as the current's pulling him down and he's able to get out. So luckily, and really incredibly, he's in front of a hospital. Because if he hadn't gotten medical attention very quickly, he would have, in fact, died. Like Yeah, what time of the year is this, yeah. did you say? Yeah, it's January, January 8th. And La Crosse is in the upper corner, almost in um, Minnesota. It's right next to Wyoming. Um, what's it called? Um, Winona. Yeah. Winona Ryder, remember she did that commercial? Yeah. It's right next to there. So if you go to the top of La Crosse, you can see into it. Minnesota. So it's Jeez, he was in the old money. He was in the Mississippi River. Yeah. Yeah, he was in a big river. Which up there. is a fast going river. Yeah, Craig and I have seen it. So, But um, anyway, so, I mean, even though, not just the river temp. So the river temp was recorded at about 32 degrees that night, but the outside temperature, right? So, Grisha, you've lived in this area, right? Yeah, and I've partied up in that area. That area is three hours from where I lived. Yeah. But I've partied up in that area. It's definitely cold. So, if he was wandering around outside for a while, and it's a huge party area. There are bars up and down all the side. So I feel like there's many opportunities for someone who was looking to get somebody. I mean, we spent one night in lacrosse. I went to nine bars in one night. Mm-hmm. They're all different styles and fun. You, it's a good place to pick somebody off. Yeah. And he couldn't have been in the water for very long because hypothermia would have killed him. Yes. And, you know, like I kind of wonder if when, you know, like he suddenly wakes up, it's kind of like when he's like thrown in. You know what I mean? Like that's cold water. System. Yeah. Cold. Yeah, for sure. He ha- also has on no hat, no coat. Um, he has no cell phone, nothing, no wallet. So when he gets to the hospital, so they obviously decide this is kind of weird, and so they do like a toxicology report on him, and it does not show GHB. But what I learned, uh, which we already talked about last week, is that a standard tox report does not look for the presence of GHB. But also, GHB will leave your body within five to seven hours. So if he's taken at 1.30, 1.45 when he leaves the bar, and he's not recovered until 7 o'clock in the morning, and the tox is probably not due on right at 7 a.m. exactly. That's yeah, they probably didn't do it until like noon when they actually got his body up to normal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he probably has enough time for it to like leave his system. Um, oh, and by the way, there are several other men from this lacrosse area who had been in specifically exactly the same bar as Cullen, who disappeared and washed up later in the water dead. Which mm-hmm. bar were they at? Jeff Geezy. Anyone? Yeah, Jeff Geezy. Um, comes to mind. Do you have the name of this bar? I, didn't I have something about it. Jeff Geezy, but I don't know. Let's see. I'm going to have to Google this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got So Jeff Geezy was found. I'm sorry. 
No, I'm sorry. That area we went up for the ski jumps. That so up there they also have like a world-renowned ski jumping thing. So people from all over the world, like I can't even tell you, come to the Upper Wisconsin to ski jump and compete like before the Olympics. So we went up there to like party for the weekend, and it's the last weekend in January every year, or the first weekend in February, something like that. And Everybody from all over the world is there at that time to party, to have a good time, to ski jump. So That's this is no around. Excuse. What you were you doing there? Because I heard it was cool. Dude, I'm down <laughs> for almost any Everybody adventure. Talk to you about you could be like, "Hey, Gracia, this sounds good." Okay. Like very seldom is there a no out of my mouth unless it's bungee jumping because I'm afraid I'm gonna hit a rock with my head <laughs> or pee my pants and it like will go into my mouth. Well, apparently, Dad pees his pants all the time. Anyway, Dad, did you have anything else to add? Bungee jumping actually kind of hurts. I think it would. Yeah, it does hurt a little. So there was, in the same area, Jeff Giese was found drowned. The case was investigated by retired detectives Gannon Duarte, along with Professor Gilbertson, St. Cloud University. And the young man, too, disappeared in a night out at the bar. He vanished on April the 10th. His body was recovered on May the 24th in the river. Um... The blood, a bloodhound privately brought in by this team that tracked the boy's scent to the Need Bosky Bridge, you know that one. I don't know the area that well. I only went, okay. only partied up there. Oh sure, you don't know about the Need. Okay. Hey, where they performed was pretty... a, where the dogs, the dog performed a trauma role, which is what my dog does when my wife yells at it, <laughs> uh, which was indicative of a physical altercation. It indicated the boy had undergone a physical altercation of some type. The dog's behavior then indicated that the boy had been placed into a vehicle and transported from the spot to where his body recovered. He was found in a shallow gravel pit, drowned, missing a shoe, which is often the case for some reason. The dog tracked away from the shallow pit, however, indicating that someone who had been in physical contact with the boy had walked away from the area after leaving the body. And if you're looking for the source, it's Smiley Face Killers by Steph Young, 2005. See, we really do our homework here. Yeah, we do quite a lot of research. I mean, to be honest, this, just to get on the research thing, it, I mean, it took me a long time to research that first drowning man story about Boston. And um, this week, I'm telling, like, Dad, I watched this Oxygen series called The Smiley Face Killers. Maybe four times I watched, you know, the other show. I was doing research. Every break I got from work, you know, every second I had available, I was diving in. And usually when we do our podcast, we give each other like four weeks. So one, you know, one show every four weeks, we each own the investigation of. So this, so that we have enough time to really tell the right story. So you know that forensic textbook these detectives wrote, right? I read it. Yeah. Just to support your point here. Yeah. Went through every case in it, um, which is a, a book I highly recommend it to folks interested in this case. Yeah, for sure. This it's called Drowning Forensics? Drowning Forensics, yeah. Drowning and it's written forensics. by Kevin Gannon and Dr. Lee Gilderson. Again. And Duarte, yeah. And Duarte and Anthony Duarte. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating, because you'll learn a lot, not only about these cases, but the processes, procedures that... Um, detectives use and, and uh, toxicologists use, people doing autopsy. Um, yeah, and didn't you learn from this book, Dad, that it is possible to drown without, like, water in your lungs? Yeah. Like, there's all different kinds I of drownings, too. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing I said, I got, I got a lot of wine or beer in my lungs, anyway. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you right. have alcohol I don't in your drown. system, you're fine. That's mm. that's the end of the story. But, okay. okay. That so, can't be the end of the story. <laughs> hey, <laughs> no. don't slap me. Oh, I'm sorry. No, so... I just looked up the bar because I wanted to see, like... Sure. Uh, so if you guys... He was at John's bar. So do you see? There's Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. There's Wisconsin. That's where the Mississippi River comes down. Oh, wow. Can you screenshot that so we can share it on our yeah. Instagram? That's the last bar he was at. Because I was like, where was it? Because you know, sure. if you know the area, you just want to kind of picture where he was. So he's only two blocks away from the river. Yeah. Wow. But I don't... I guess I just question... Not to say these. Yeah, I mean, but what did he do for like five or six hours between, mm-hmm. you know... I mean, he doesn't know either because he has... It's a problem with most of these. And somebody disappeared from the same bar. Like that kind of, whatever it is. I don't know if you said his name, but. Yeah, well, and in the the case of Chris Jenkins, right, the guy, that survivor story, he disappeared or he was being abducted in the process of being abducted from the Lone Tree Bar, which is exactly where Chris went missing from. So it seems to me like maybe there's some kind of connection there. Maybe these people are regulars at this place and they kind of watch people and see who they can. Exactly. Yeah. And you and I talked about this last week, Gracia, because we've both been bartenders, right? And servers and restaurants and stuff like that. And so you, you are able really to learn how to pattern who somebody is very quickly when you're in that position because, you know, you want to spend your time on the tippers, not on the people who are going to put five bucks out on a table and pull a dollar away for every mistake you make, you know, like. Correct. Yeah. So. And you also want to, like, if someone wants to be listened to, you want to be able to listen to them so you're ready to do whatever you need to do. So most bartenders are a little bit more susceptible to people. Yeah. Because you're like, what does this guy need from me? Oh, nothing. He wants to have nothing to do with me. Oh, he needs me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you have to be able to read your customer and see who they yeah. want you to be. Yeah, for sure. So kind of what i just like to talk to you guys about a bit is i just like to know what do you guys think? You know, like, what do you think of this smiley face killer? killers theory like i said it sounds like a episode of scooby-doo right but it's not this is totally real investigation so what do you guys think is this like reality is this you know are you saying you think it's a certain serial killer you think it's a cult like so what they say is that it's like a group of serial killers that are kind of all connected right now in 2020 21 on the dark web but in the past, they must have had, like, you know, a MySpace page or something like that. I have no idea. <laughs> right? They had a little bunny. But, and it's, out. like, maybe they're, like, challenging each other or they're, like, scoring each other or it's some kind of initiation ceremony. But basically what these cops are saying is that this is a group of, it's a, it's a web of them. They're interconnected. They have a way of communicating with each other. And this is how they mark when they've done a crime. And like I said, there are four dozen smiley face graffitis left at these sites and um i didn't cover the gentleman in particular and i'm not sure i quite remember but one of the guys that they pulled out of the river actually had like orange spray paint on his pants and it matched the smiley face that was on the location of where the body is assumed to have been dumped so you're asking us whether we agree there is a conspiracy or we don't yes do you do you think so i don't know that i agree or not agree because that's a pretty solid statement um, but my statement will be that I do think it's probable because you have uh, a lot of these situations and other things, you know, like old motorcycle gangs used to have different wings based upon what you do. Like if you had a sex with a dead body, you had a purple thing. You know, yeah. there, there was different things that would go on your motorcycle jacket based upon your conquest. And they were pretty gross. Like they weren't, 
like that purple wings one you had sex with a dead body like that's, that's kind of gross that's really disgusting <laughs> like so there are things out there like charles manson there are are people that um get you to do things to push your boundaries and each time your boundaries get bigger and bigger right so if you do this little thing okay now do the next thing then do the next thing and i could see this happening in in life i don't think it's not possible i think this but i can't say agree or disagree because that's just too definite i didn't hear the last thing you said though i can't say agree or disagree because it's too definite like she's afraid to commit yeah because i heard this about you thank you <laughs> mostly because i always think there's left field that we don't know about like what do they always say there's seven million sides to every story so as you're telling these stories, you're telling them from how many perspectives? There's always another perspective that we're not hearing. Well, if you hear it from mine, then you can wipe out all the rest. Sounds good. Yes. So I want then, just the truth. So then what is your perspective, Dad? If we can hear yours and then sure. ignore everyone else's. Um, I'm kind of with, with Gracie on this one. I'm kind of right in the middle. I'm such a decisive person. But let me tell you why I would say, yeah, there's something going on. The GBH found in so many of these instances, wherever it was asked for or looked for, they found it. Yep. Okay. So that tells me that statistically that's not a problem. Um, there were many instances where the victims were alive or stored for varying lengths of time prior to being put in the water. And we know this due to like decomp factors and things like that. Yeah, they determined yeah. this in the autopsy. They say, okay, we, we pulled them out of the water on this date. According to our test, he's been in the water two days, but by the way, he's been missing for 30. Mm -hmm. What the hell was he doing the other days? Right. Right? It's too many of those in, in these cases. A point that uh, I think Gracia was making was that historically there's been, and I think this is a problem the FBI has, uh, how, how many killer gangs have been out there doing this kind of thing? You know, that, can you name a few? I can. So I could go all the way back to Scotland in the 1500s to the Shawnee Bean Gang, right? They were a cannibal gang. They killed about, I think they were given credit for like a uh, thousand people. Let me look at my notes here. Yep. Um, Manson family, which Gracia mentioned. How many of you remember Om Shiriko? Who's the sarin gas, the Tokyo subway system. One I didn't hear of until I started researching these things was called, something called the Order of Solar Temple. Right. They have uh, a victim list of 74 members. Some of these were suicides. A good number of them were murders. The zebra murder, which I talked about in San Francisco, that was my hometown, uh, in 73 and 74, at least 15 victims. They think it was a lot more. But that's, that's what they got them for anyway. Um, right now, I should say, right up to 2020, because I couldn't find anything further on this beyond that date, there's a killer gang in San Bernardino, California, in a silver car going around randomly shooting people. Right? Yeah. So we know that these are groups of, there are instances mm -hmm. where groups of people, for some reason or another, decide. Birds of a feather, right? Flock together. Well, and also, you know, we're using this term serial killer, but if you're picturing Jeffrey Dahmer, that's not exactly right. Like, a serial killer is just the person who's murdered more than more than one. It's the number of victims. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. More than three people. Yeah. Now, I have trouble with this, and this is where I go to the other side of this, why I've sort of done 
it's like, okay, so I'm a gang of what, 10, 15 people? Sure. And maybe the leaders... In each, is, in each state, right? Because they... It's not in each state. So there's a few states in, Ma in Massachusetts. So there's a few states mm -hmm. in the United States. But actually, this is a worldwide phenomenon. This does worldwide. happen okay. in other So cities. this is more than 10 to 15 people. Yeah, that's the other thing. The scope of it bothers me, too. And I'm sure it bothered the FBI, because they came out with a statement going, ah, bullshit. What about, like, pedophiles and stuff? You've heard of pedophile networks well, that have know, these kind of things. Well, you know, that is an excellent point, because pedophiles of all the groups have the scope and the numbers, because mm -hmm. they keep getting busted. And they're all over the place, and they communicate on the dark web. And so, yeah, so if pedophiles could do it, why not murderers? I don't know. What is the motive, though? What is the motive? What is there about young college men? They hate, they hate them men? for some reason. Yeah, you know what? what? But I feel like it's like... What if you're dorky? What if you're someone who's picked yeah. on by them? What if you what were if somebody you... who was bullied? You've suffered some kind of trauma, and you start it. But there are so many people bullied by these like perfect but people. But if you're a group of ten... Not all 10 of you would be in that group. Well, that may not be true. And I'd like to point out that um, Patrick McNeil, the first case that we brought, he lived in an apartment with seven guys, and most of them didn't like him because they called him a womanizer. They said that he was obsessed with how he looked. They said he was obsessed with this phrase. Now, I, don't, I didn't bring this up initially because I felt like those are things people say when they're jealous of someone They're jealous else, of them, right? Right? But what if he was also kind of a dick to them? Like, if they didn't mm -hmm. like him, I mean... All reports say that he's actually a really great guy, but... But who says that about a dead person, right? Yeah, but also, you know, like, I mean, I think that I'm a great person. I think Gracie is a great person. Does that mean that in our lives we haven't offended anybody or Dave, you know what I mean, or hurt anybody's feelings accidentally, maybe without even recognizing yeah. it, you know? True. The other thing, when you think about, like, these types of cults or, you know, because I would call this more of a cult than, like, group of like multiple serial killers um you know it's it's not all of them that have the same it's like one of them has a, has selected these and the others just got, kind of go along it's like it. an it's agenda like, yeah that, one, agenda that one set the agenda than, you yeah. know um but you know even still like i mean because there have been situations where there were multiple serial killers working together charles ng had a uh, person his name That's is true. His name escapes me. Um, one, but if you Google Charles Ng, uh, one of the most, right? yeah, I mean, you know, so it's not impossible to believe that there's, um, you know, that there it's are. Maybe that's posts. two. That's two. Yeah, and Logan Leopold. I mean, this is two people, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, but. I don't think that's what we're talking about. No, not probably not. Not if it's going worldwide. Now, if it was just a couple of cities, I would say, yeah, that is possible. Especially but like Philadelphia, New York. Those are all drivable for us. Yeah. yeah. I've driven to Philly just for the night and done a couple of things yeah. and come back home. So. And, you know, but one, one of the things that strikes me is, you know, what they refer to in crime is modus operandi. Mm -hmm. It's almost always seems pretty much the same. Like, these people seem to be the same targets seem to be very much the same kind of they disappear for yeah. they disappear for months and then they show up and they show up where the police have searched yeah that um, was certainly true in boston yeah. but also if you think about um coda he went missing in philly right well the steelers stadium is literally on the water P pittsburgh yeah. pittsburgh sorry yeah close pittsburgh. enough and yeah. the steelers stadium <laughs> is on pittsburgh. the water 
And it so, is. like, if this was a regular phenomenon, then in the football season, you would see men apparently not able to hold their pee and walking to the river and drowning and dying, right? But yeah, it's really you don't. To hold your pee. Lesson number one. Is this a possibility? We have a group of people, but they have a very, very strong leader of this cult, as mm -hmm. David would put it, who has a hold over this group, and they kill for him. Much like Am Shirigo or Absolutely. Jones, Absolutely. you know, and then and Guyana. Is that possible? Is that what we're looking at? Absolutely. In fact, I just listened to a Dateline podcast, um, which I can't remember the name of right now, but it's about a cult in New York City. And this guy, who was like some short, fat, loser guy, was getting all these incredibly talented, beautiful women to come and eventually gets them to brand their genitalia with his... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was just in the uh, yeah. NKVD, whatever. Exactly. I was so jealous. I, I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> I was so shocked at this. But Couldn't I mean, have been more shocked. I had to read it time and time again. To... But when you get pulled into that cult mentality, not only do you do what... And actually, he actually made them ask for the branding right before. And they did it in like a cruel way, you know. And then these women who come out of it have to be deprogrammed. That's what they call it. But the, yeah. there are some women who are still... Do you know there's a book out about this? It's called Fifty Shades of Ouch. Which is <laughs> very funny. No, that's not a cold. But, but what we were saying before is he breaks them down small and then he gets them to that point. Yep. So you can see it with these things. He could be like, were you bullied? Were you this? Were you that? Yeah. Like, join this group where... You know, about bringing each other up. And then next thing you know, it keeps going up to this next level of, like... These guys picked on us. Very I mean, there's books out there about mass killings and stuff that have happened because of bullies, you know, school shootings. Sure. Like, there are so many things that have happened based upon just people making other people feel like shit. I, I don't necessarily think it's improbable. No, and, you know, the other thing, too, is these, you know, I, I don't know what to phrase them. I know the media calls them hackers. But you remember a couple years ago when you had that idiot that did the, um... Uh, swatting and you know here's a kid that's you know helping somebody because they're upset over a video game score and so he calls the police and tells them that there's a that he's a hostage victim and gives them an address they call the swatting um, and of course they the police go and uh, unfortunately somebody at the house that was targeted died um, but the thing is is that the so-called genius is just, you know, some twit on the dark web using his own phone, of all things, to do this, so yet somehow they manage to catch him. And then he goes on the internet to talk about it. Um, but, you know, you can definitely see these people that often frequent places like the dark web and stuff like that. Really, they're just seeking some sort of identity, you know, and to be part of this big or this big thing, you know? And yeah, it's like, like that's I'm the hacker. And, incredibly you know. insightful, Dave, actually. And it made me think of the Capitol riots that just happened, mm -hmm. right? Like, now those lunatics are saying... First thing I thought of as well. When Trump he's... made me do it, right? Like, he yep. poisoned the our brain. made me do it. And they weren't even on, like, the dark web. They were on that... I don't know what it is. They some, had their own sites. Some yeah, QAnon and, QAnon. and various, <laughs> various QAnon. other idiocy. I, well, I think I, it's... I mean, Various other alternate theories to reality. But um, look at what they did. Look at what they did. Yeah. I mean, they committed a major federal offense. Sure. And Jill on the 4th, 
not to get too far off talk of it here, but a number of people actually came to watch uh, Trump get inaugurated on the 4th of this month. So, and, and I laughed and I cried, you know, I went back and forth. Um, but it just shows you that, yeah, there are people out there who follow anybody. They will follow. And all he has to say is, hey, do it, and they'll do it. Yeah. As humans, we want to be part of something. We what talked would about they have done if they got their ago. hands on Pelosi or, you know? Uh, or Mike Pence. They were, they, they, yeah. and, and the thing is, is what they were convinced of was so illogical. Of course the vice president can't just decide to ignore the election. Uh, I, I mean, it's hit. not like our founding fathers were that dumb. Like, yeah. you know, they, like they wouldn't have foreseen the, the possibility of a vice president just arbitrarily saying, well, you know what? I think I'll be president today. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. So this could be what's going on is that, you know, they formed a community of whatever. Like-minded individuals. <laughs> Like-minded individuals. That's what They want to yeah. make bartending great again. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Trying to make murder great again. Yeah, who knows, right? Uh, you know? Can you swim? I can swim. Oh. I used to be a lifeguard. Remember the story yes. earlier? We were, to go back for two seconds, I think people are looking for community in life. No matter what, you're looking yes. for a community. So people say, yeah, how would they join something like this? Well, it's very easy to get sucked in at that beginning stage and get pushed further. Yeah, and we've certainly all heard the stories of somebody who commits some kind of crime and it's shocking, and then they tell you how they got sucked into it, and you're like, oh... That's how they did it. And, you know, I mean, all the talk we have about racism, we don't talk a lot about classism. There's a lot of those kids that are in towns even like the one we grew up in where there are definitely families that can afford, you know, nice clothes and stuff like that. But then you get the kids that, you know, they're wearing hand-me-downs that came from Walmart. They're not wearing clothes from, like, you know, Gap or whatever. And, you know, those kids are seen as different. And, you know, they are, they are targeted. Objects of jealousy. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, a real sure. good one, Davey. That's, yeah, that's interesting to think about. Because yeah. that's the struggle I'm having with going, oh, yeah, there's something going on here. Because I can't put myself in the head of the perpetrators. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I see on Facebook people who will talk about, you know, how people bullied them in high school. And, look, I'm, mm -hmm. like, I'm 44 this year. Like, I'm over high school. But there are a lot of people I know graduated my class or in my age group that are not over high school yet because of whatever traumas that they the went extremes through. that might happen to them because some of them are pretty extreme. And, yeah, and you know, and we we talked about earlier about how there's like the there was especially in the '90s like this make believe that you know college date rape doesn't didn't in some way didn't happen, but it's like you know. Um, Oh my god, like I read once a statistic and I think they said almost one out of every four young women that attends a college. I would believe sexually... it's even less than that sometimes. Yeah, I agree. That's I think just people reported. Don't... That's yeah. reported. I mean that's I mean that's horrible. I mean that's horrible yeah, when you think about it. Especially when we were younger, I feel like there was a lot more emphasis on what did you do to get yourself put in that circumstance sure yeah it was all it's always it was the all girl's fault. on you on always the woman the girl's fault yeah not to go off on a tangent but like rock turner you mm -hmm. know it was like he's he's great her you book know, is like, fantastic why did she get so drunk like fuck you rock turner you know like why don't you burn in hell i hope she know? wrote a book read it chantelle miller i know uh know my name read yeah. it it is a phenomenal book about a woman who just is broken down yeah. So are we saying it's possible there's a cult out there 
very strong leadership. And basically the thing is, hey, these rich uppity kids having an easy time in life, they're going out getting drunk, doing what they want. We can't even afford to come close to this. And we're going to stop it. Yeah. Is that what? Yeah. We're going to show them how powerful we are. Or we wish we it's were like possibility. them. Yeah. It's possibility. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's completely possible, too. It, so. There has to be some sort of explanation to why these crimes, these incidents, all have so many glaring similarities. I mean, when you talk about mathematics, there's things that it's true. just improbable that all these things are taking place in the same manner. That's true. I had no problem with victimology and saying, yeah, something's going on here. It was the motive. I couldn't quite. But now listening to you guys, I'm going to think, well, you did a good job here, Jill. This is great. Oh, thanks. No, you guys were all great. This was a really interesting story. So again, I'd just like to point out to all of our listeners that if you want to learn more, definitely um, you can just Google smiley face killers and you're going to get a lot of information. But again, Breaking Homicide covered um, Chris Jenkins and it was really fascinating. And um, there's an oxygen series on the smiley face killers, which I don't have oxygen. I have Apple TV, so I just downloaded it from there. But like, it's so fascinating and it's so interesting. And so I hope that y'all enjoy it. And if you want to learn more, you know how to learn more. Okay, so we've kind of heard how everybody here thinks that the smiley face killer theory is probably not so far-fetched as a Scooby-Doo show. Except for one person at the table who doesn't necessarily believe in the smiley face killers, and that is our producer, Craig. Right, so I kind of don't trust it when uh, somebody's trying to present an argument to me and sort of, it's up to me to try and find the holes in the argument, and that feels a lot of what's going on with Smiley Face Killer uh, sort of conspiracy theory, is that there's TV shows that are trying to peddle this as something that's happening, and so I keep trying to find the holes in it. And, you know, one of the things that I look at is this whole story about elevated GHB levels in the blood, but after death, those do spike beyond the typical 10 to something up to around 40. So a lot of these cases, they quote high levels in the blood, but they're not really out of line with what you would expect from a person who had died. Um, there are other things, like the fact that suddenly we're finding hundreds of these cases over many, many countries. I find a little bit hard to believe that there's that far-reaching a network of killers who have very similar modus operandi, and, you know, I find it hard to believe there's that many people involved in doing the same killings that are actually able to stay to the script that closely, without deviating, and that that many people could be involved and keep that good a secret without some of them slipping up. So I'm a little suspicious, I'm a little skeptical, and I intend to present my rebuttal against the world that the smiley face <laughs> killer theory is horseshit. I'll catch you later. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> okay. So, coming up in the next few weeks, because we haven't really figured out what's coming first, you may hear a story about um, a town in Vermont that liked to freeze their old people in the winter, or Gracia, or Maura Murray. I'm sure you've all heard about her. She was a college student that was in a car accident and disappeared in 2004. Or Dad. The Great Vampire Scare. Or Dave. 
Well, in a couple weeks, you're going to hear all about Lizzie Borden. Yeah. So, subscribe on your favorite podcast today. So, if you are interested in reaching out to us and providing us an idea for a story, you could hit us up on Instagram or Facebook or email, right, Gracia? Yes, we just started them today, so make sure you follow us, like us. We are Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime at gmail.com or Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime on Facebook or Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime on Instagram. So you can totally figure out the pattern and you can totally follow us today. And that's a wrap on the Drowning Men or Smiley Face Killer Theory. (laughs) 